at the ball game. Yo! Welcome, everyone, to the Fantastics Insider Baseball Podcast here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, of course, InsiderBaseball.com. I'm Lou Blassie, along with Sky Dombrowski from Fantastics and InsiderBaseball.com. Sky, how are we doing? We just spent like a half an hour talking about how you're doing <laughs> before yeah, I, recording the podcast. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. You know, at, uh, at the risk of uh, breaking HIPAA and all that stuff, I'm uh, feeling a lot better and happy to be back in the saddle. Yeah, we're glad to have you back too. And uh, uh, it was such a crazy weekend for everybody. Last weekend, serious shows, and with your con- your concerns and things, it's just like it's it's good to be settled back in and talk some baseball, right? It's a little bit of a respite. Respite. We can take a break here and just sit down and talk baseball for a while. Yeah, I, I actually do enjoy it. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward very much to the next few weeks and uh, and weekends both of uh, talking about baseball. And I do feel I feel refreshed. I feel like I got a little break. Yeah, and that's always good, and, and and getting a little break from everything else we're dealing with because it's been kind of a harassing time. I, I said to somebody this week, it's like uh, it seems like every planet is, re- is in retrograde this week. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it seems like they're all in retrograde. Uh, you are way, way beyond my uh, my knowledge base at this point. <laughs> uh, so today on the show. We're going to do now. We have to balance here between the podcast here and the Sirius XM show and uh, subscribers on Fantastic. So we're going to try to kind of please everybody here. Uh, we're going to go over Skyla's notes for today. And depending on when you're listening to the podcast, uh, you, you can figure out what's going on. But we'll go over it because Skyla wrote the column of uh, wrote the player notes for today. Uh, at insideofbaseball.com. And there's a sample of it up on insideofbaseball.com. You can get, I think it's five or six players or four or five players uh, of the sample notes that went out to our subscribers this morning. Uh, so we're not going to do those players. So after you listen to the podcast, head on over to the blog and catch Skyler's article about the rest of the players or the sample of players that are on there if you're not a subscriber. If you're a subscriber for you a little bit later in the program, this is what we're going to do on Sirius this weekend as well. And by the way, we don't have a Saturday show uh, well, we have a Saturday show, but we're doing football. I get to work with Dan Claskins and, and James Adams. We're going to talk draft on Saturday for an hour before we give way to draft coverage of round three. And then uh, Skylar and I on Sunday, and we're going to talk about lucky and unlucky hitters and pitchers, have the coaches meeting on Sunday as well. But we're going to give you a taste of that going forward a little bit early here on the Insider Baseball podcast. So let's start with player notes here. And uh, we got a couple of pitchers that are pitching really well. Before we get into this, though, Sky, I'm going to take you off track right away because uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because this is kind of your subject matter or a lot from last year. Over the course of the week and over the course of the, the past week and recently, we've heard news that the ball is dead and there's a ball factor here. You know, there's so where there's smoke, there's fire is a pretty good way to to live your life when you're looking at things like this that you're not sure of. And there is so much chatter about the ball and about the raised seams. Um, I watched, I normally don't put a ton of stock in this stuff, but I've been watching a decent amount of baseball this year. I really missed it. Like we've talked about uh, this spring. I missed it abnormally, it seemed. Um, <laughs> and I saw Giancarlo Stanton hit a ball a couple of weeks ago. And I thought it was in the second deck and it got caught at the warning track. Yeah. And typically when, when Stanton hits a ball, hard it doesn't stay in the park right so that that ball shocked me i haven't seen a ball ever in my life to my knowledge hit that hard at that launch angle and not leave the park it, so it, it's I'm funny how he, it's funny how your anecdotal stuff tends to get backed up i, I remember talking a couple of years ago and we were talking about the ball in 2019 and i remember in that 
in the cold of, I don't know if it was April or May, I want to say it was April, and I'm watching Raphael Devers go up on the, the back wall on the center field at Fenway, and I'm mm-hmm. going, you just don't hit balls up there. You certainly don't hit them up not, there in April, April or May. No, exactly. no. So, yeah. you know, you get the feeling that something's going on. So, uh, and the humidors have been uh, called into question about this, or the humidors have been given most of the blame for this. And it makes kind of sense because here in the cold weather, for example, uh, the balls are, are going to be dry. In the cold weather here, there's low humidity. And if you're putting them in a humidor, you're actually raising the humidity, raising the moisture in the ball. So they'd be deadened a little bit. Where in some parts in the summer, like Miami, uh, the humidor will actually probably lighten the ball a little bit or give it a little bit more carry because in humid areas in Florida, uh, for example, uh, you take some of that humidity out of the ball. So it would make sense here in April that, and again, it's never, here's the big thing. It's never single effect, right? So oh, right. we right, right. so we can't sit here and say the ball is this, the ball is that. And that's why this is happening because it still is April. And, and you know, that plays, that plays into the weather factors as well. And uh, depending on how the schedule works, and I don't know how much colder the schedule has been this year than other years, but uh, both of those things are factors here. Well, I th- yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I feel like, and I'm sort of an amateur weather buff, I guess you'd say, um, I feel like it's been four or five years at a minimum since we've had an unseasonably warm April in the northern half of the U.S. Oh, yeah. So it, it feels like we we keep having these Groundhog Day arguments every year where we say, all right, well, how much is the weather impacting baseball this year? Well, I got to say that if you are watching any of these games, when you see guys wearing uh, costumes like they're breaking into a, a jewelry store <laughs> to play baseball every night, that is not baseball weather. That is not weather that is conducive to good hitting generally. So you've had Chicago, Milwaukee, Detroit, Minnesota when the when the roof is open, Cleveland, uh, New York, both Philly, Pittsburgh have had some Boston have had brutal, brutal weather for probably three quarters at least of their home games in the month of April. So yeah, I mean, as you say, it's a multi-effect issue. And while I do think that MLB is playing around with stuff again to all of our dismay, uh, I think the weather has a decent amount to do with it as well this year once again. All right. So what do we do with this information? Do we just write it out? It, it's hard to fit it into your plans at this point. But you can't do major strategy changes in here. I'm not even sure you should be able to do you should do major strategy changes uh, because it's it's an equal effect. And if it's the balls, the ball aspect of this is equal effect on everybody. Yeah, exactly. So I don't, I don't tend to, to uh, look at gross changes for this kind of thing. I think it is going to be an issue for specific players. And over the course of today and Sunday on the show, I think we'll probably hit two, three, four players where I feel like you'll see a little more regression than the norm when weather comes back to sort of a more normal bent and some of that hard contact that's really been being suppressed will sort of rear its ugly head. All right, let's get into some players in your notes today. And again, we're not doing the players that are going to be on the preview that's at insideofbaseball.com. So by all means, head on, head on over there after you listen to the podcast here and get some more free samples of, of Skyler's notes for today and check out everything at insideofbaseball.com. Uh, Drew Rasmussen, the six shutout innings uh, last night against the Mariners. Uh, Walk one batter, struck out nine in the victory over the Mariners and allowed only two hits off to a good start, 350 ERA. X-FIP at 314, striking out one per inning. Pretty good start for him. 
Yeah, he looked really good. And, uh, you know, I think the past handful of years, people will say, well, I mean, it's the Seattle offense, probably middle of the pack. Seattle's been the fourth best offense in the majors thus far this year. So that's no joke to shut that lineup down to that extent. And when you see guys like Rasmussen that have extremely limited track records, you're talking about a guy in Rasmussen that does not have 200 professional innings yet. So I know he's 26 years old and it feels like he's kind of a fully formed guy, but let me assure you, he is not. Yep. And you combine that with a a pitching staff in in Tampa and and a scouting group in Tampa that we know deserves our respect. I kind of like the upside here. Um, You know, he's, he's the cutter that he's developed this year has been his most effective pitch to this point. He he is uh, introducing it right at a 30% clip. So he's basically a three pitch guy, evenly split between a four seamer, a slider and a cut fastball. And it's it's resulted in a 14.5% swing strike rate, 33.5% chase rate. Both of those are good. The swing strike rate actually probably be considered great. Mm-hmm. Um, the exit velocity, Rasmussen is a guy that is probably going to uh, have a little bit of an issue when uh, you know when the weather does normalize. He's one of those guys that I mentioned. Uh, averaging over 91 miles an hour with exit velocity, that is somewhat problematic. And yep. he does allow fly balls and line drives. Ground ball rate's only about 39%. But I see so much bat missing potential here combined with really pretty good control that if you can get the two prongs of the triangle that we're always looking for in terms of K, walk, ground ball, the holy grail for pitchers. Right. If you can get two of them pretty solid, and it looks like Rasmussen has that, in a player that's in an organization that we like, that has been very successful in developing pitchers, and he doesn't have a huge track record, so there's some kind of mystery about him, I really do like him as a pickup, as a speculative pickup. I, I think he could be really good. Oh, you have to respect these Tampa Bay kids and that swinging strike rate and chase rate. Those are things that are going to grab your attention. Those are positives. You look at the quality of contact and it's a little bit iffy there. As you mentioned, the exit velocity, 91 plus, and that's pretty standard for him. But uh, hard hit percentage, 50.2% last year in 76 innings and 47% this year. But the thing about it is he can give up hard hit percentage. He can give up hard contact if he keeps the ball on the ground. And the thing that's changed this year is his ground ball rates down to 39%. It's 47% the year before, 53%, um, 54% the year before that. And, uh, you know, and in the minors in AAA, it was 57% in his last run at AAA. So he's a ground ball pitcher with some punch out ability, which is exactly what you're looking for. It doesn't walk a ton of guys. Love all of that. So if the ground ball rate starts to come up, I can give up, I can put up with a little bit iffy quality of contact stats if the ground ball rate comes up. Yep. Completely with you. And you know what I find hilarious? This is a a bit of a segue, but I I think it's kind of humorous when you look at like Shane Boz is going to be coming back. And we're going to have a Tampa Bay team that people love to like tell other people what Tampa Bay is, hmm. but you know, they're, they're the team with the openers and all that. Uh, you're you're going to have a Tampa Bay team probably by the all-star break that has four, uh, four regular starters, possibly five. So yeah, Tampa Bay they... is not what you think they are. Tampa Bay does what they think makes sense for their team based on what is there at the time. Well, that's the caveat I was going to give. What if they decide to go off off script with this abundance of pitching? It'll be interesting to see how they handle it. Yep. Well, I I that I guess you just heard how I think they're going to handle it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you give it through. And I think what will happen is, and there's been a lot of talk about this up here in Boston recently because of, uh, obviously, Hein Bloom uh, with the president of operations here, a Tampa Bay guy, and there's much more Tampa Bay influence in the Red Sox organization at this point. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the talk has been that these types of approaches that Tampa Bay takes, and uh, Tampa Bay is one of those teams, Minnesota is another one of those teams. Who else, who else do they cite? Uh, but uh, basically, it works in the regular season. You get playoff berths, you get things like that. But when you run into the talent at the, the top end of the talent in the playoffs, oh, Oakland was the other team, that you just can't come through in the playoffs because it becomes a talent issue at this point. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Tampa Bay handles this because I think with the abundance of pitching, they might get innovative with it and try to reserve some innings and things like that, but keep everybody healthy and keep everybody on track. And then when it gets down to playoff time, when it gets down to the stretch run, get into a more traditional four-man rotation that you will use in the playoffs and get those guys ready to go for a playoff situation because that's been Tampa Bay's issue for years, that pitching staff when it comes down to playoff situations and the rotations that you have. The the Tampa Bay way of doing things, it, it doesn't seem to work as well in the playoffs as it works during the regular season. Yeah, I boy, I mean, until it doesn't or until it does, I, I think – I love what their organization is doing. They're they're maximizing talent, obviously, while minimizing cost. And you kind of have to do that. They're one of the few organizations that really doesn't have a giant revenue stream to completely short circuit their crying poor argument. Um, I think they do a great job. But I look at Tampa Bay, and, and I find most of the time when I watch them in the playoffs, I find their high high-end offensive talent to be lacking. I think that's where their hole is for me. Yeah. Yes, yeah, stringing innings together and trying to score some runs for that pitching staff. Yeah, I mean, they kind of just like, they claw at you during the season and just kind of like beat you into submission with a bunch of guys that'll grind out at bats and things, which is nice. But they don't have star offensive players typically. And now we've got Wander Franco that I think will be that. I think if he's not already that, I think he, he could be that for them. Yeah. But they really haven't had, in my eyes, since Evan Longoria. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Wander Franco is that guy. He not only is that not only is going to be that guy, he is that guy right now. I think he he's sure arrived. Like a week ago. Yeah. <laughs> he does when he plays the Red Sox anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, is is this the arrival of Mackenzie Gore at this point? He went to um uh he went to, for the win, five innings, surrounding one run on five hits, two walks over the Reds. In his last time out, it's been a good start for him. Is is this the arrival for Mackenzie Gore? So, I mean, Mackenzie Gore is obviously a very good pitcher, great pedigree, top prospect. Um, looked like things were all kind of set up for the Padres to break him in as their fifth starter this year. Um, but, you know, they then they went out and got uh, Sean Manaya, who has kind of really worked himself into a number two or number three starter over the last handful of years. And they grab Reclamation Reclamation Project Nick Martinez, who I know people are going to scoff at this, but I'm telling you, he's had some control issues that are relatively uncharacteristic of him thus far this year. I'm I'm not convinced that you you, you could see Martinez could stay in the rotation and be a back end guy that could be very productive for them. So they don't have a need for Mackenzie Gore right now. And it's not you, a bad you, thing though. No, not at all. I mean, I know we're past the service time issues with the new CBA that's coming, but um, 
you compound this a little bit by the fact that Gore has faced the worst offense to this point in baseball twice in his three starts. And in his third start against the Braves, he was decent, but really not that impressive. He allowed five base runners and two runs and five and a third innings and only struck out three. Um, you know, that's fine, but he, he is not a guy where you're like, yeah, he's done with the minors. It's time to be in the majors. That's not the argument you use for Mackenzie Gore right now. I think he's a great pitcher. But with Mike Clevenger coming back in 10 days, barring a setback, and with Blake Snell maybe a week to two weeks behind him, where are you going to put him? I mean, you, right. you already only have the, – the rotation is chock full. And Nick Martinez does, for me, just out of curiosity's sake, warrant another couple times through the rotation. So I really would be surprised if Mackenzie Gore is still with the Padres in three weeks. Well, this is one of these situations where, again, we advise get into game logs and things like that, because what's happening is you're looking at the free agent, what, however your free your commission of site works on free agents, and you're looking at a pretty good stat line from Mackenzie Gore at this point, and you're thinking, you know, he has a high pedigree prospect, the numbers look really good, he's arrived, he's ready to go, but A... He may not have arrived. He's faced Cincinnati twice, and as you said, Atlanta's start wasn't great. It was was fine, but it wasn't it wasn't as stunning as his overall stats would tell you it might have been. Plus, there's no room at the end for him in the starting rotation. And he and you're right. We talked about this in the preseason. He has a lot more to do in AAA. There's a lot more to do in the minors. San Diego probably feels that way too, and there's no rush for them to bring him up. So they may just send him down, just bring him up comfortably. Let him get these two starts against Cincinnati and get himself established and gain some momentum. But that all goes by the boards when you're looking at your, your commissioner product and you're looking at these numbers on Mackenzie Gore and thinking, well, that's a guy I need to own. Maybe, maybe back in the minors and you said Clevenger in 10 days, right? Clevenger in 10 days. He has one more rehab start where he's going to ramp up to 80 to 85 pitches in five, uh, five days. And then as long as that goes well, he'll be back with the club and he'll be ready to go 90-plus pitches. So he's definitely back. Snell is a little further away, but mid to late May. Yep. So just be cautious. You know, this is now is not the time to be claiming Mackenzie Gore you know, for uh, 2022 purposes anyway. Yeah, I, and I, 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 you know, you have pitching injuries, and they certainly could crop up again at any time, and Gore could be back because he is probably ready to be a productive member of the rotation. But you're looking at a guy that has 47 innings above a ball. And, you know, he's still got some control issues, some mechanical issues that are not really smooth yet. So some more time in the minors, I think would be beneficial. And since they don't need to throw him in there in the majors right now, I don't see a reason for them to avoid fine tuning those issues a little bit. Yeah. Don't spend half your fab budget on him at this point. Exactly. Now's yep. not the time. Andrew Vaughn, I was a victim last night. He had a big night last night. Uh, one of the players had a big night against me last night in my head-to-head. He was two for four with a home run and a double and four RBIs against the Royals last night, hitting 298 with four homers, 12 RBIs, and his numbers all look good. We gushed about him in the preseason. We gushed about him early in the season, and he's paying off. Yeah, I think we gushed about him two weeks ago on uh, on Sirius, and yep. uh, you know, he's he's showing contact ability. He's showing power. He's showing plate discipline. Aside from speed, he's showing basically everything that you want to see out of a young hitter. And, oh, by the way, you know, this is a guy that has 521 career plate appearances right now at the major league yeah. level. So, you know, he's probably still a work in progress. I firmly believe that he is one of those rare potential 330 home run hitters 
He is a great, great hitter. The White Sox have a stud here, and he's really kind of holding this team together through all the injuries over the last few weeks for them. Yeah, it's a good time for him to emerge. 5.8% swinging strike percentage so far. I mean, he's just such a good hitter. And I think a couple of weeks ago on Sirius when we talked about it, the thing for me, a little more launch angle, a little bit more lift. His launch angle is up from last year, 9.7 degrees last year, 11.9 this year. Uh, That's contributing to an up barrel rate. His hard hit percentage is 56%. Uh, He's just controlling the strike zone. He's controlling his plate approach, and he's making great contact. When the lift comes in, that's when that's when we're going to see that 30 home run potential that you're talking about. Yeah, and I, well, I think we're seeing it right now, to be honest. I mean, he's only had 39 batted ball events, and he's got four homers. Um, 56.5% hard hit rate, so he's hitting the ball over 95% or 95 miles an hour more than half the time. Uh, by stat cast data, he's actually being shorted 20 points of batting average, 75 points of slugging. Yeah. He's just been absolutely outstanding thus far. Yeah, there's a little bit of soft contact, more than I'd like to see, 30%. He's uh, he's hitting some home runs in a silo there at uh, one mm-hmm. uh, one infield pop-up for every six balls that he hits in the air. Other than that, I mean, that's really kind of quibbling over little tiny things. There's nothing else. He looks fantastic. It's, it's funny. We usually talk about the uh, power approach costing you in contact and his fly ball percentage along with that launch angle has gone up 10%, 36 to 46%. Pull percentage has gone from 35% to 44%. So he's more, much more aggressive as a hitter, which we want to see. He cut a swing strike rate basically in half and <laughs> is chasing at a 29% rate. So he's that, that game power is coming in without him sacrificing any kind of his, any kind, any amount of his contact ability, which is considerable. Yeah, it is. And and I think we can use Andrew Vaughn as sort of an object lesson because I know that people Ooh, I like object at, lessons. Good. Well, yeah. Well, I think it's important to figure out how we can find players like this that are going to break out. And you look at last year's slash line, 235, 309, 396. And we talked about, all right, well, it's a kid that went from A ball to the majors. He's only 23 years old, no major league experience, obviously. So he's going to be get, be exploited by some of those better breaking pitches. It's a tough situation. He did okay, but most people were disappointed with what they saw. Mm-hmm. But when you look at what he did last year as a 23-year-old power hitter, 91-mile-an-hour exit velocity is a good standard deviation above average, and usually you don't see peak Exit velocity, peak power potential until about age 25. So that's two years prior to that. He's showing you already up well above average power. That's excellent. 10% swinging strike rate and an average chase rate for a player in his first exposure to this level. Yep. All these things, they have to be taken in context. And Andrew Vaughn vastly outperformed expectations if you look at everything but average and slugging percentage and things like that. He vastly outperformed expectations for a rookie hitter that has never been above A-ball. So you right. look and, at that, see what he did in a full, mostly a full season last year. And it was, for me, it's very easy in hindsight. We talked about it all preseason, how we thought he was going to be great this year. And here we are, we're seeing it. Yeah, he didn't get what he deserved based on quality of contact. And, you know, that 10% swing strike percentage, you look at that in a vacuum and you say, wow, that's really great. Chase rate 32 for a rookie who didn't play much high in high minors. Excellent. Not good for him, though. Not not what you were looking for from him. But the quality of contact tells you that the power was there. And 
it was basically a full season last year at 417 at bats. And usually we're looking for this comfort level to come in around a thousand at bats or 1100 at bats with a couple of years of regular playing time. But you can see the difference in his comfort level right now, just in the swinging strike rate, in the chase rate, in the fly ball rate, in the pull rate. He's much more comfortable as a hitter. He learned a lot in those 417 at bats because a, he's just a terrific hitter, and he's got good, raw physical power. And when you're a good hitter with good, raw physical power, the game power is going to come in, and that's what's happening. Yep, you're absolutely right. And these are the things, when you go and look at other players in the future, remember these sorts of situations. This this is a player, I feel, that was about as easy to forecast a breakout as anyone. Yeah, and this is what we're going to get into a little bit later with luck, you know, with lucky hitters here or lucky and unlucky hitters, looking at some of the underlying indicators as opposed to the current result stats and seeing that there's more there or there's less there, where the regression is going to go. With him last year, with that quality of contact, you knew that the power, the power numbers are going to come up, but it's still kind of curious. He hit 235 last year. He's hitting two nice small sample noise. This is, I know the answer before I finish it. Mm-hmm. He hit 235 last year, hit 298 this year, and his BABIP only went up to 286 from 271. And even, I feel he's being cheated. I, I know he's not a speedy guy, and he's hitting much more fly balls, and he's pulling a little bit more, but I almost feel like that 286 is cheating him based on the quality of contact I'm seeing this year. I, I, I feel a little bit like that as well, but he has added a lot of fly ball and pull into his game, and that typically will suppress batting average in this day with the shift still working. So yep. um, I think that that's probably having its influence. And this is a level that I feel he should be probably a 280 to 310 hitter is kind of how I see Andrew Vaughn with his abilities. So I feel like he's kind of in the mix now. This is about where he should be. Last year was just kind of weird. It's rookie year. It, the major leagues are tough. So, yeah. Speaking of which, Tommy Pham, and this is another example of what we've been talking about for a long time, even through a couple of uh, a stretch of bad luck here or whatever. Tommy Pham is a better hitter than his result stats have shown in the last couple of years, even at the beginning of this year. And even you're still looking at a 196 batting average. But the quality of contact is outstanding. There's got to be more ahead for Tommy Pham, especially if he continues to get regular playing time. Tommy Pham is the hill I'm going to die on this year. I've I've decided because I just, I look at every single aspect of his game and it is something that we would, if if you put that player all together and didn't look at any stats from the past handful of years, this guy would be a second or third round player. He's just, everything he does, he does well. He has excellent strike zone discipline. The contact ability is at least good. It occasionally is great. He's had a contact year of 81% back with Tampa Bay. Um, he, he has that ability since he had the eye surgery about seven or eight years ago. Um, generally doesn't pull the ball a ton. He has been a little bit here in the early going, but he's not a guy that is going to usually leave you susceptible to these terrible BABIPs. Um, but, you know, 253, 280, and 222 now the last three seasons, even though he shouldn't be a very unlucky player, he has been a very unlucky player. He's um, got a 222 BABIP and the quality of contact. He's got a 54% hard hit percentage, 10.3% barrel percentage, 94.4 exit velocity. That's average, by the way. Yeah. And, and a launch angle of 8.7. You're averaging 94.4 miles per hour in exit velocity. You still get a 222 BABIP. I mean, it, it's been so long now. It starts, you start to question your sanity, but he just deserves so much more than he's gotten so far. He does. And we haven't even touched on the fact 
that he has spent his entire career in ballparks that are probably 15 to 20% less friendly than the one that he is now going to be in. Right. So we haven't seen any benefits from park effects yet outside of Coors, in my estimation. I don't think we've seen them anywhere at any time this year yet. The weather's just been not conducive to it. But I think as the summer gets on, as I said, Tommy Pham is the hill I'm going to die on. (laughs) I am going to have Tommy Pham in every single league, and I'm going to hold him until I find some reason that proves that I have been wrong. Yeah, I was happy. I've been holding him for the last couple of years, and he's a guy I really like and one of my binky type of players that I drag along and usually find a spot for him on the roster. And I didn't. I picked him up. I picked him up early, didn't draft him and picked him up early. And it's just kind of it's exactly what we've talked about all preseason, what we're talking about. I mean, the numbers tell you he deserves more than he's getting. I know it hasn't looked good for the parts of three seasons now, 2021, now 22. He's just hitting 196. But I mean, God, look at that quality of contact. If this were a player A, player B type of situation with a 54% hard hit percentage, 10% barrel percentage, 94.4 exit velocity, you'd be jumping all over yourself with this guy. No doubt about it. And <clears throat> I don't know how how familiar all of you are with the StatCast data and what they do, but they basically take like if every player hit the ball with this speed in this place in this manner – what would their batting average and slugging percentage be? That's that's what they do with these expected batting averages right. and expected slugging percentages. So for the last three years, Tommy Pham, in terms of batting average, has been shorted 48 points, 29 points, and 48 points. And in terms of slugging percentages, he's been shorted 136 points, 59 points, and 87 points. So these are massive, massive gaps just to where he should be, not to like where a lucky player would be. So when you look at what Tommy Pham is doing, uh, first of all, I don't know what happened to that Reds offense. (laughs) I can't believe that just taking Eugenio Suarez and Jesse Winker out of there caused it to turn into a little league offense, but that's what it looks like. They're just horrible right now. Right. But I feel like that park is going to start pushing them once it is the second best hitter to park in the majors almost every year since its inception. So I think once the weather warms up, you are going to see some good performances from some of these Cincinnati red players. And I want to be on board with Tommy Pham because he's had so much bad luck on so many levels over the past handful of years. I mean, just doesn't karma have to come back the other way? You would say, but this is where you start to question yourself because again, it's been it's been two plus seasons now, and you just start to wonder, you know, because the quality of contact has been excellent, and you just you shot you saw all you just mentioned all the time all the things he's been shorted of in terms of expected uh, Babbitt and things like that, and you just wonder why. And he's not the model player who would be unlucky. He's got speed. He hits the ball on the ground. He doesn't pull excessively. He's pulled a little bit this year, but he's not the player that models out to be an unlucky player, especially in Babbitt. And I don't know. And he's so, even so far, 18.8% home run to fly ball. That suggests to me, and he's got a 41% fly ball percentage. So the lift, everything's there. It's just got to happen. But you, it's been so long now, it, it's easy to question why it wouldn't happen. And almost everybody did. He's been going at bargain prices so far this year and may still be available in a lot of formats. Yeah, I think he probably is. And it's obviously the gambler's fallacy to assume that, you know, karma is going to come back around and, and work the other direction. But all fam has to do to be very productive for you is keep doing what he's doing and not have bad luck. Yep. You know, it's, it's not like he needs a, a, a switch in, in fortune completely. He just needs to not have bad luck constantly. 
which yeah, he has for be lucky. three years now. You don't need him to be lucky. You just need him not to be unlucky. Exactly. All right, Joe Ryan, is it time on Joe Ryan? He uh, another great performance last night. Uh, uh, two hits, one walk across six innings, six shutout innings, struck out five against the Royals. It is the Royals offense, by the way. But he started the season with four starts, 23 innings, a 117 ERA, a 70 whip. That's all pretty good. He's striking out guys. His quality of contact is excellent. Uh, what's Joe Ryan doing right here, by the way? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Ryan, look, he looked phenomenal last night. He gave up a single to Miggy and a walk over seven innings. Uh, he's just been absolutely outstanding. And yes, I think the weather has helped him more than it helps a lot of pitchers because he allows a lot of fly balls. Ground ball rates perpetually been low all during his minor league time and in his last and in the nine starts that he's made at the major league level. He's going to allow some hard contact. He's not somebody for me. I don't see Joe Ryan as an ace. And you you look at the stats that he's put up, and that's basically he's put up at every level. He's put up ace-level stats. Mm -hmm. I I see him more as a guy that's going to kind of slot in in the number 20 to number 30 starting pitcher sort of a range. I do think he will allow some hard contact and some home runs as time goes by. He's not an overpowering guy at all. 92 with the fastball, which is actually up this year. Uh, Not a huge chase rate. But he does swing. He gets swing and misses. He gets called strikes. He has excellent control, and he's just one of these guys. Just always seems to have sort of low babips and keeps the keeps the ball off the fat part of the bat as best he can with stuff that is not top echelon stuff. Really, just an underrated kid coming up for the Twins, and I think he's going to be a really good pitcher for a long time. One of those horses that you look at, and he's going to make thirty some starts a year, and he's going to be a number two starter for a very long time. And his stuff isn't overwhelming, but he's managed to maintain really good strikeout rates through the minors, through the high minors so far in the major leagues so far. And he doesn't walk a ton of guys. You know, the question is, can he keep the ball in the ballpark? And he's had success with that. Uh, And, you know, you can chalk it up to whatever you want to chalk it up, whether it's a a performance gain on his part or whether it's the balls or whether it's the weather. And and as you said, the weather has helped him. He's also he's hit the Red Sox at a a tough time in there and the offenses he faced hasn't been great. He struggled in his first start, but that was the first start of the season. You can kind of write that off, but basically he's doing what we want him to do. He's punching out some guys, not a, not an elite level, but he's punching out some guys. He's not walking guys so far. He's keeping the ball in the ballpark. That's the thing I'm going to keep an eye on though. Yeah. I mean, even in the minors, you look at some of the double A and triple A numbers and granted we're talking about 70, 80 innings because he just is another one of these guys that came up pretty rapidly through the system but he did allow over a home run per nine everywhere above a ball. So it's going to be an issue. There's just, you can't get around it really. He just doesn't have the dominant stuff that you look for from frontline starters, but he's got everything else. He's got impeccable control, command, deception. He's a really, really solid pitcher. And I love him kind of slotting in behind your top tier arms because he's just solid, consistent. And you you say stuff, and I know what you mean, but we got to challenge our definition of stuff at this point because I'm looking at that 14.1 swing strike rate on him, and you kind of write that off because that's early. It's early, and it's you know pitchers are ahead, and offenses are down, and all kinds of stuff's going on. I get it, but then I'm going back through his minor leagues. AAA was 15.6, and that you know small samples, 57 innings pitch, but 15.6, 14.9, 18.3 percent swinging strike those are in the high minors he's got a history of of 
fooling and or beating some hitters. So he's got some strikeout capability, even though, as you say, his stuff doesn't blow you away. Yeah, well, it's true, uh, but he relies more like, well, we talked, you and I talked about Nestor Cortez a, a week or two ago. He, he's more in that style of, uh, he, he gets people yeah. by the wiggles. He yeah. doesn't just overpower them, but hey, he's and, just, he's a master at the, at the deception, not just with the pitches themselves and having everything tunnel correctly, but with the pitchability and the, um, right. the, the, the sequencing that come into it. And I want to put this disclaimer out. I'm not equating these two pitchers in any way whatsoever, but it's kind of a Greg Maddox thing. Ah. And you, you, put, you pulled N- Nesta Cortez, which is a much better comp, by the way, than what I'm doing. But you can have stuff without having, quote unquote, what we consider stuff now, which is high in velocity, high in movement, things like that. If you can throw three pitchers, possibly keep four pitches in the hitter's mind and you can locate correctly and you can throw those pitches. You're not locked into situationally throwing a particular pitch. You can keep hitters off balance. You can strike them out. You can fool them and or beat them with speed and location. It still can be done. Yeah. It's refreshing to see, to be honest, because we're just kind of used to at this point, guys just rearing back and giving you the fast, faster and fastest, like a wild thing in major league. (laughs) Um, You watch guys like Cortez and, and Joe Ryan, and it's, it is easy to be reminiscent of Maddox because th- those guys that can throw the ball into a thimble are also just really fun to watch. Yeah, and I like watching Nestor Cortez. I like watching Joe Ryan because these guys are masters of their craft. It's just and, their their wiggle room's a little bit less. And you and I are in the fan base of big offenses, the Red Sox and the Yankees, and I know it's this way with the Red Sox. And Joe Ryan faced the Red Sox this year and drove them absolutely nuts. And these kind of guys can can drive a big offense in the 2020s absolutely nuts with speed and location. It's it's something they don't handle as well as they do uh, velo and movement. So these guys can be effective. I don't know if the Yankees have run into trouble with these types of pitchers in the past, but I know oh, the Red Sox God. often get killed by these types. Of Watch pitchers. this afternoon. Yeah, when they face Bruce Zimmerman for the second time, and you'll yeah, see Joey go. Gallo and everybody else flailing at changeups all day long. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to watch sometimes when these high-powered offense get get in front of a speed and location guy. But they've driven the Red Sox offenses nuts for years, and and baseball in twenty twenty two, these types of guys like Joe Ryan can be problematic for hitters. Oh yeah, because everybody has velo, so guys get used to just ramping up for velo, and then everybody can hit it. I watched a clip in the Don Mattingly special that came out right before the season, and I, I loved it. It was just an awesome thing, and if anybody gets a chance to watch it, you should watch it. Uh, but I, I remember when he was talking about that home run he hit in the playoffs where everyone thought that Yankee Stadium was going to collapse. It was shaking so hard from <laughs> cheering. Um, but he hit that home run in the playoffs, and he said that he was just he went up looking changeup. And I am convinced with these guys that that's what you do. That's what you do. Because these guys, they throw 25 to 40% change-ups, these uh, control and deception artists that we're seeing. Just sit there and zone change-up. You're going to get one. Yep. And it almost always is near the zone because that's how they pitch. Right. So just sit there and wait. <laughs> it's, it's funny if you've ever played MLB The Show. You know, that's the strategy you come to right away. Why don't hitters come to that right away? I, I guess they don't play enough video games. <laughs> exactly. Because the changeup today, it's not the Pedro changeup. The Pedro changeup doesn't have a lot of, uh, it, it might have some depth, but it doesn't have depth in the terms of the way Pedro's did. Pedro's changed lanes and dropped. Yes. And 
uh, that was, you know, and he had those incredibly long fingers and that's what gave that, that spin that, uh, gave the depth and fade to his changeup, which was incredible. You don't get the depth and fade on many changeups these days. You get depth a little bit, but it's not even aggressive depth. It's just kind of loopy depth, uh, depth as opposed to biting down on it. So that changeup is a pretty, it, it'll sit there. It, all you have to do on most of the changeups in major league baseball these days, and there are some guys who are good at it. Don't get me wrong, but most of the changeups in major league baseball these days, all you got to do is have the timing down. Yeah. And if you sit on it and get one that's in the zone that you can hit, you're going to drive it. Yeah, you don't get a ton of two-plane change-ups. Most of them are no. one-plane change-ups. The Pedro, that's a unicorn pitch. I mean, yeah, you don't exactly. see that very much. Sort of reminiscent of, of a slower Kevin Gaussman splitter that we're seeing now. Yeah. Uh, where you just, you look at it, and if he throws it right, you're not hitting it. Right, but Gaussman's uh, split it bites it it yeah. has that it has aggressive depth it, it's not loopy depth depth that's it bites down on you right and the whole the whole principle of the changeup at the major league level in its current iteration for most guys is to make it look like a fastball just slower because right. you don't have the time to adjust right so yeah that's ba- it's basically just speed and yeah. it's speed and tunneling it's just yeah. trying to keep the hitters off balance. And hopefully you have that Delta that we talk about that's been dependent. And again, you, you don't get the Pedro changes anymore. I mean, there are a couple of guys with some really good changeups, of course, right. but even though, even most of those are just being able to locate it and giving that arm motion that sells it as a fastball and, you know, keeps it as off balance. Yep. Yeah. You just, you just want the offset from the fastball. That's all it is. And it's enough to fool most hitters. If you're not sitting there zone and change up, which again, like when the Yankees play today, I swear to God, they will swing and miss at that change up six or seven times, and I'll just be throwing stuff. <laughs> it, it's not, right. I don't think I would miss the pitch. Yeah, I know. It looks that way. Yeah. Well, because you would be going up, you and I would be going up sitting on the, hoping he throws a change up. Exactly, because <laughs> it's all you're he can catch up to. <laughs> you're not hitting a fastball. So God help yep. me throw a change up in here somewhere. Yep, yep. <laughs> and I'll be all over it. Uh uh, so that's player notes. That's some of Skyler's player notes from this morning. There are more on the sample article at insideofbaseball.com on the baseball blog. We give you a sample of everybody's player notes every day on the site. It's the same notes that uh, get sent out to the subscribers. A lot more in daily email as well. And if you're a subscriber, you've gotten Skyler's notes in the email this morning. So go check them out a little bit more on the show on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio on Sunday this week. And that's the one show we get. We're doing football on Saturday uh, draft coverage for, with uh, Dan Claskins and James Adams uh, as we uh, hand it off for coverage of round three of the NFL draft. Uh, but on Sunday, Skyler and I will be working and uh, we're going to be talking about lucky and unlucky hitters and pitchers. And let's sample some of that a little bit. And the player you wanted to start out with here, Xander Bogarts, it's kind of funny because he's had it such a uh, Jekyll and Hyde type of season so far. He's been hot of late. And I just, I went in and I pulled up the fan graphs page and I'm looking at a 53.6% hard hit percentage, 7.1 barrel percentage, 90 plus mile an hour exit velocity, good launch angle. I'm going, so what's the big deal? Why is he so lucky? And then I looked at it, the 509 Babbitt. And then I looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> then I looked at it. Then I looked at the 509 Babbitt. He has been lucky. Yeah, he definitely has been lucky. And it, it feels it feels good. You feel good about him because the exit velocity is up and he's hitting with more power. And the stats look good. So there, it looks like there's no cause for concern. But I'd say looking at the top of his fan graphs page, looking at the walk to K ratio is somewhat problematic. I don't like seeing the, the crater of walk rate and increase in yep. K rate, which is borne out 
by an increase in chase rate and increase in swing strike rate that is significant, almost a 50% move uh, in swing strike rate for Xander. And yeah, I think, uh, I think we could be seeing some problems if he weren't having a 500 Babbitt. So for, for Xander, like I love Xander. He's probably my second favorite Red Sox player of this generation. I think he's a really good player. It was nice to see him. 2019, probably career year for him, age 26, 33 homers, 309 batting average, 110 runs, 117 RBIs. The speed had dissipated by that point down to mid-single digit steals, but that's okay. He was as well-rounded as a player as you're going to find, looked steady. But that power was just just always a little suspect. He was more of an above-average power guy than a great power guy. And that means 30 home runs is going to be the outlier, not the commonality. So I think you're more likely to have a player in Xander, and I think we all sort of know this at this point, that he's a 20 to 25 homer guy and he's going to hit around 300. He's just a solid citizen. He's a really good player. Um, I, I don't see anything different here. I think this is probably just small sample size noise where, you know, he's swinging and missing a lot more in the early going, but it does look like he is reaching for a little power and not finding it to this point. I got to ask, who was your favorite player of that era? Xander is number two. Raphael Devers. Raphael Devers. I'm, I'm saying the, the new generation, the new guys right here. I've been saying it since day one of Raphael Devers, and it's in my head every time I hear his name. Just special. He's just he special. special. He just special. a special hitter. And I think he's still underestimated in terms of his ability to hit. The, the thing with Xander is that I, I don't want to hold him to the standard of the 2019 with the 33 homers, but I want him to be more of a power guy and more of a middle order, the middle of the order producer than he is. I kind of understand it to this point because it was a miserable start for him. And we can sit here and debate. It really doesn't matter now. We can debate whether there was an injury problem or whether it was dissatisfaction with the contract or just a slow start to the season could have been any number of those things in any proportion. So maybe he's still a little bit more contact centric because of such a bad start to the season. But I need him to be. I need him to be a little bit more. I don't need him to hit 33 homers. I'd love it if he did. But he's got to at least reproduce the 23 homers that he had last year. And so far, that's not the pace right now. Ground uh, fly ball percentage is down to 23. percent I need him to pick that up. He's a great hitter. I'm not particularly worried about it at this point. It, it it doesn't seem like he's timid at the plate or anything. His hard hit percentage is 53.6%. He's hitting the ball hard. I just want to see that lift come back, and I want him to be more of a middle-of-the-order type of producer. And they kind of especially need it right now because Devers, after a hot start, is slumping a little bit. J.D. Martinez is slumping a little bit. The offense has been stagnant. Trevor Story hasn't been the guy that we, we expected him to be in Boston, at least so far. So you'd love to see Xander take the reins here a little bit and just be a little bit more aggressive from a power standpoint. I was going to say, which which we are you talking about? Because uh, Trevor Story's <laughs> kind of been a – these guys that leave Colorado after a long time, yeah. I, I think people's expectations are a little out of whack. Story obviously has been disappointing even beyond what we sort of expected. But Coors Field, I really feel like we, we give people these numbers every single year, multiple times. We tell them how much the impact of Coors Field is. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then none of it actually hit. It's like my wife listening to me when I'm talking about basketball. She (laughs) says yes. And I know she says that she's listening to what I'm saying, but none of it went in to the actual cerebral cortex. (laughs) And I feel like this is the same thing with Coors Field. People just don't understand how much of an impact it has. Especially for a guy like Trevor Story, who's a... Do I want to use the word marginal power guy? Is that unfair? 
is it unfair? Yeah. No, it's like spot on. Yeah. I, he's, see, he's an average to above average power guy. Yeah. Nolan, Nolan Arenado came out of there and he's a power guy. So some of that's going to survive. And by the way, what he did basically was replicate his roads, his road stats just <laughs> everywhere and didn't have cores to do, uh, to do the extra stuff with, but that power is going to survive a little bit more. Trevor stories might struggle a little bit more. I mean, weather gets better. Playing at Fenway, playing and in Baltimore is not Baltimore anymore, but playing in the American League East, you know, some of that may come back. He's still going to be a quality hitter. And by the way, they didn't spend a ton of money on him by Major League Baseball standards in terms of 2022. Right. But yeah, I think you really have to readjust your expectations to Trevor Story. Plus, didn't have much of a spring training because of the contract, being a free agent for so long. In with a new roster, he's had he's changing positions. He's uh, had some struggles in the field. All that plays in his head a little bit. The team in general is struggling. So I, I'm going to give him a chance to put it back together. But you really have to reestablish a value of Trevor Story outside of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think most of these guys this year should probably get a pass for the first half to an extent. Uh, just a really sort of bizarre year with the negotiations and everything. But I mean, all I'll all I'll say is here are Trevor Story's career. Statistics on the road, 241 average, 311 on base, 439 slugging. There you go. Wow. What, what do you want? What do you expect? Yeah, exactly. What do people expect? It's kind of sobering, isn't it? Just suddenly going to be different. That's This is what he is. This is who he is. All right. The, the next guy here, I'm going to give you, again, the numbers look pretty good. I mean, 20%, 20.5% barrel percentage. That's pretty damn good. Uh, 90.8% exit velocity, 43.6% hard hit percentage. Uh, Seiya Suzuki, has he been lucky? Yeah, he's been lucky, but he's also really good. Yeah. I think he's just a great addition to the game here in the U.S. I'm really glad that he decided to come over. He is a legit, legit player. And I think it's awesome to see a new player come over to the U.S. from from a culture that you know basically sort of assume – Aside from Hideki Matsui, have there been any power guys that, that have come from the Far East? I guess no. you can count Shohei at this point, but you know, we assume guys, they're all we assume they're all Ichiro. Yeah, exactly. You know, they yeah. have that kind of slap hitting style, and and I wouldn't say that Seiya has that slap hitting style, but he's thirty one percent pull, thirty one percent middle, thirty eight and a half percent oppo. Yeah. So it's not a it's not a classic sort of power hitter sort of approach. But he's got an exit velocity of 91. The barrel percentage of 20.5% is just absurd. Yep. Um, I, I think he's a very, very good player. I think you're going to see somewhere in the high single digits in terms of steals. I think you're going to see probably in the mid-20s, maybe pushing 30 in terms of homers. And the contact ability is impressive enough. You know, he's 83.5% contact rate here in the early going for pitchers that he hasn't really seen before. Right. And the chase exactly. rate, 18.7. Fantastic. So I love this kid. I think he's going to be a really good player. He's going to give you a little bit of everything. Probably not great in any category, but he's going to be good across the board. It's exactly what you want. And once he starts figuring things out, I think the game power comes in even a little bit more. I, you know, yep. he's, he's certainly got the potential. He's not a physically big guy, but that you know, all these quality of contact stats tell you there's some game power to be had. And he's a, a, a tremendous quality hitter. And right now, you know, it's new new digs in Major League Baseball. He hasn't seen a lot of these pitchers. He's probably, again, more contact-centric. I think as the weather warms up, that's going to be something he's got to get used to, too, as the weather warms <laughs> up. And by the way, he's playing in Chicago, 
We, yeah, uh, right. We all, know, we all know what Wrigley's like in April. So in, we have in, not had good Chicago weather yet. No, and in in BP, he's probably hitting balls in in Wrigley and wondering what the hell? How am I going to get this ball out of here? But you yeah, know, obviously, right. we know it changes in June. Uh, once all that start changes, I think he he becomes a, a more power hitter and a more more typical hitter of Major League Baseball and starts to adapt to that. And I think there's tremendous power potential here. Yeah, I th- I think there's easy thirty potential. And there's probably 10 steel, maybe 15 steel potential once he gets familiar with the pitchers. And the contact ability just kind of wraps that all up in a nice bow. He's a, he's a good player. All right. We're previewing our lucky, unlucky uh, episode of the uh, Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio Show, which is uh, Sunday, 11 to 1. We're going to be doing football on Saturday, if you're listening to this uh, as we release it. I just want to get one more hitter while we talk about a couple of pitchers. Robbie Grossman, because I own him, and we talked a lot about Robbie Grossman in the preseason. We like Robbie Grossman. Power hasn't been there so far. Um, and it was a slow start for him. He's starting to come out of it a little bit, but uh, barrel percentage 3.1%. It's kind of scary. It doesn't look good for Robbie Grossman. I mean, the best thing I can say about him is if you own Robbie Grossman in an OBP-oriented league, he's going to carry you enough because his plate discipline doesn't slump. You know, he's really, right. really good at drawing walks. He's he's kind of a, a really – I was happy to see the Tigers put him up at the top of the order. That's where he belongs. He doesn't look prototypical because his speed isn't quite what you want at that area. I think he's nine. Uh, he did steal twenty bases last year, but that's not him. Don't ever expect that again. Um, no, but but you you have a right not to expect zero in fifty at bats. You do have a right not to expect zero, especially when he's on base forty percent of the time. You'd think yeah. he's, the opportunities have been there. Uh, so maybe he's not feeling great. Uh, I think you know an exit velocity that has dipped in the last two years from average to below average to Victor Robles level. Um, this is not good. And I always felt like Grossman had some power, but it seems to be dissipating. And a lot of times what you see with these guys that break in late is they just have that one big year, maybe two good years, and then they kind of pumpkin again. And I think Grossman just, he doesn't have as much power as we were led to believe last year by the data. Even 23 homers, uh, his barrel percentage was decent at 7.5%. But yep. the hard hit rate was only 34% this day and age, very low. Exit velocity under 88, right. below average. Uh, and that's the it's all launch angle induced, basically. He just had a launch angle of 21 degrees, which is quite high. Uh, really just hit a ton of line drives and fly balls, 46% fly ball, well above anything he's ever done before. He's come right back down this year. He's pulling more. Like he's trying to get to that power. Yeah, uh, he's been that's, pulling that's, a lot more the last three years. That's the big thing I see is you've got that sixty-two percent pull percentage. His swing strike rate is up. His chase rate is up. He, he looks like a guy who's reaching for power a little bit when he probably shouldn't. You know, maybe he carried the identity twenty-three homers. I can hit twenty, so I can hit twenty-five. I can hit twenty-six. I can hit twenty-seven this year. And that's not the way he should be playing the game. No, no, he's much more. Uh, pigeonholed for me as a guy that's going to give you 10 to 15 homers, 10 to 15 steals at best, and get on base for you. The average is probably not going to be great. It's been great this year with a 438 BABIP so far. That will come uh, to an end at some point. Stolen bases um, bother me. I, I feel I feel cheated. I, the home run thing, zero home runs here, 50 at-bats in. You can kind of take that or leave that. It's, it's early season. There's a lot of stuff going on. That could be any number of issues. 
but and again, we talked about it in the preseason how his power is marginal at best, and he's a very um, he's a very low margin of error power guy. So those twenty three homers might have been the pinnacle, probably were the pinnacle of what he's able to produce. But I wanted ten stolen bases out of him. I wanted ten to twelve stolen bases out of him, and then give me however many homers you can give me. But hit for average, be a good OBP guy, play in an OBP league. That's why I drafted him, and give me a good OBP and give me you know, 10, 12, 14 stolen bases. And, and on top of that, I'll take whatever homers you give me. I um, don't know what to say. I, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think you're going to get them. I know. And that was too much to ask too, because those 20 stolen bases were as much out of line as the 23 homers were. Yeah. G- given history. Yeah. I mean, when he's, he's averaging five a season, so. All right. And in, in, Hitters, what we're looking at is quality of contact in in terms of what it's produced, result stats versus quality of contact, and we're trying to figure out who's unlucky. And uh, that's what we've been doing here. And you could go just directly to uh, StatCast and go expected slugging, expected batting average, and get a get a similar result. With pitchers, there's a number of ways to look at who's lucky and who, who's unlucky. And obviously, the first stats you would normally go to are uh, homer to fly ball ratio and BABIP, but uh, we all love XFIP because XFIP kind of does that to an extent already. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it does it for you. Yep. <laughs> Save me time. Yeah, exactly. So it's a nice little thumbnail, and then you can go verify it with uh, with the underlying stats if you want to, but it's a nice XFIP is a great way to get a good snapshot of how lucky or unlucky a pitcher has been, and then you can go dig into that a little bit to try to figure out why it's happened that way. But uh, Steve Matz, a 6'11 ERA and a 198 XFIP pretty unlucky (laughs) yeah it's hard to be more unlucky Matt's is a guy that has pretty much always put up above average BABIPs um you know he does allow some hard contact it's not outlandish but it's it's worse than average so with Matt's you're kind of just expecting all right well I think he's going to throw up an XFIP of around four and I'm hoping he can keep his ERA somewhere in the same ballpark because his control is pretty good he does miss bats so yeah, that's 462 BABIP and a 63% strand rate. What are you going to do? He's allowing 45% line drives. Yeah. It's like slow pitch softball. So I'm not, I'm not enthused with what I've seen from him so far from a superficial standpoint, but the velocity has been intact. Mm-hmm. The chase rate's actually up. It'll be a career high at this level at 33, which swing of course strikes drags up, that chase sp- rates up. Yep. Yes. Drags that swing strike rate right along with it, which is well above his career best at 12.2%. It's now above average, which he's really never been. So I think Matt's could be one of these guys that, that finds some success in St. Louis. I think it'll be a decent park for him. Um, it's just going to take a while. When you start out, we talked about this ad nauseum in the preseason where when you start out with a dozen runs in your first four starts, it's going to take a while to uh, get that out of your, to wring that right. out of your ERA. Well, you're not going to, it, you know, it's, right. it's going to, it's going to skew it, you know, for the rest of the season that, that it doesn't take many runs to skew your ERA a half a run or something like that over the course of the season. So eight, you have to keep that intact. Eight, eight you know, over 170 innings pitch is a half a run. Yep. Uh, here's the thing though, that I'm looking at home runs, uh, 0.5 per nine. He's a home, he gives up home runs. His career is 1.38, and his fly ball percentage is down to 17. percent And I'm kind of doing a little dance. I'm going, I'm liking that. Maybe St. Louis found something. Uh, keep the ball out of the air. Keep the ball in the ballpark. He doesn't walk a lot of guys anyway. He's not super stingy with walks, but doesn't give out a ton. Strikes out some guys. But then I'm looking 
he hasn't upped his ground ball rate. This is all, all the fly balls are turning into line drives. Exactly. And then some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, that's problematic. And that'll kill your bat always. Line drives are, are by far the best category of hit for bat, batting average. So. so he's already been unlucky. And then um, what's going to happen is that home run, that home run rate is going to re- uh, regress to the mean. And he's going to be giving up home runs when the weather turns. And, and he's going to be back to being Steven Matz. Well, I mean, he, he's Steven Matz, so. Um, you know, I, I like him. I think he's the kind of guy that I'm, I'm usually pretty comfortable with throwing in around SP 50 to 60 as a, as a fifth starter on most teams. Um, it just, he doesn't typically fit the way I build my teams where I like to grab a lot of high standard deviation guys for those last couple spots and hope that a couple of them pan out. And he's not really that he's more of a sort of steady ish. He's going to be decent. He's going to have some good starts and bad starts. Uh, sort of a starter. So. That's the th- well. That's the thing that turns me off of him is the potential for bad starts. I, the floor isn't what I like at that point. I mean, his end numbers. If you're in a rotisserie league and you're going to pitch him a lot, his end numbers would probably end up to be okay. But you're going to suffer some bad starts in there. Can't do it in head to head on a weekly basis. And if you're just streaming him, th- there's as good a chance you're going to pick a bad start as you are going to pitch a good start because he's going to give up a couple homers in a start. And uh, you know that's the problem. That's always been my problem with Steven Matz is that the bad starts are just kind of unpalatable. Well, last, last night was a perfect example. You know, he goes out and, and pitches against his old team, the Mets revenge game. I was actually thinking, thinking some good things about it and um, four innings, four runs, six hits. And it was six hits just kind of getting picked to death, you know, a couple singles and uh, a couple doubles and four singles, but he also walked a couple guys. So it didn't matter that he missed uh, 17 bats in 97 pitches and struck out six and in four innings, he ended up giving up a ton of runs. And that's just, you get these infuriating outings from Matt's where he looks really good. And then the stat line is terrible again. All right. So Skyler and I will be doing the next podcast as well. We'll get into this more in this lucky and unlucky with some hitters and some pitchers. We're going to do it on a serious show on uh, Sirius XM fantasy sports radio Sunday, 11 to one, but you'll have it on the podcast here as well. So everybody stay tuned and uh, enjoy your day. And uh, if you, if you're with us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, um, subscribe to us so that you know when the new episodes drop join us on sirius xm on sunday we'll have another podcast and we'll be looking more at these lucky and unlucky hitters so far because that's the one skylar we've been complaining or i've been complaining all spring you haven't been around but <laughs> i've been complaining uh, here in the early part of the season is there's nothing to dig in on for stats but you can draw some conclusions and you can draw some legitimate conclusions from how lucky or unlucky some players have been so this is a good thing to dig into at this point in the season yeah, we're, we're getting there, you know, what, about three weeks in at this point. Um, we're, we're getting there. We're getting some data that we can utilize. I feel better another three weeks from now um, when we have about six weeks worth of data. And then I can, I feel like you can start getting some stability to some of these numbers. But we're at the point now where we can draw some conclusions. We can look at some opportunities. So let's do it. Do you want to tease as a reward for people who have sat here for more than an hour here on the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast for the date of the National Day of Potential Concern? Why would we not? <laughs> okay. When is the National Day of Potential Concern? Well, we're looking at Sunday, May 22nd. Sunday, May 22nd. And that's the day where we we jokingly say you can legitimately be concerned about some players. We're already there. <laughs> we <do. laughs> Everyone is there all the time. Everyone's there all the time. Exactly right. But this is the day when you can finally stand up and be proud and say, <laughs> I'm concerned about this guy. <laughs> and not have people laugh at you. 
that Skylar, <laughs> Skylar sent me this. I think it was an email and he, he just gave me the acronym and May 22nd. And I was doing something at the time. And I'm going, I have no idea what the hell he's talking about here. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then I figured it out. It's a national day of potential concern. That's going to be May 22nd. We got time before that though. Uh, check us out on Sirius XM fantasy sports radio. Normally Saturdays and Sundays, 11 to one, we got football coverage from 11 till noon on this Saturday. And then we hand it over to coverage of round three of the NFL draft on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. But Skylar and I are flying on Sunday. More lucky and unlucky in the coaches meeting, of course. Have a great day, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Oh, yeah. Let's go.